Welcome to the podcast. In and through exists to equip the church to be hearers and doers of the word. My name is Tim. And my name is Marshall. So I don't usually, but right now I got a nice cup of coffee. You do. In my Arkansas Razorback. What do you got in your mug? <laughs> I've also got coffee of, of a sort. <laughs> so, so we, are, we are in the church. We are. And socially distanced, by the way. Yep. And we are about to open the word mm-hmm. to the people of the Lord. That's right. And you started it off with a lie. It's it, well, it's instant coffee. It's not I it's not instant coffee is what we say in the south. Is what we call in the south hot garbage. <laughs> Have you ever heard that southern expression that's hot garbage? <laughs> that was the etymology of hot garbage is instant coffee. Oh man. Well, yeah. It's, it's funny actually. There are some so my in-laws essentially only drink instant coffee. Which makes it difficult when you go to their house sometimes. Like they, they just choose to only they don't they don't have a regular coffee maker that they generally use. They mm-hmm. don't they don't do the French press thing. I do it out of necessity once in a while. But yeah. we have multiple coffee makers in this church. They t- yeah, but they're like they're probably twice as old as I am and they take like an hour to brew a pot of coffee. We have a Keurig in my office. Well, I know, but I've been I've been using so many of your Keurig pods. I feel guilty. <laughs> I owe you like multiple boxes of Keurig pods. It's not good. You know, when we when we lived in Peru, which is one place that coffee comes from. That's true. It was disgusting how much instant coffee they drink. That's crazy. Just eh? Nescafe instant coffee everywhere. Hmm. When I spend time teaching in seminaries in uh, the former Soviet. Mm-hmm. Only, only instant coffee yeah. if they had it at all. So I got to where I would, uh, they they drink a lot of tea there. Yep. And so I got to where I would just bring coffee and a uh, a pour over with me. Oh yeah. So that I could, <laughs> I had a tea kettle in my room that they had yeah. put there for me. I just push the tea bags aside, yeah. make my own coffee because uh, when you're lecturing for ten and twelve hour days. Mm-hmm. You need one. Oh, I bet. Yeah. You need, you need a cup of coffee at least. Yeah. Or three or five if you're me. <laughs> we did not come here to talk about coffee. We did not. This is not the coffee podcast. Although uh, it is a fun topic. It is. We came here to talk about the Bible. And so today we're uh, we're picking up in Isaiah, mm-hmm. about, about midway through Isaiah. Pretty lengthy book. It is, yeah. Uh, and, uh, and what's our forest? What are we looking at for this? Our forest is that the Lord will not always chide. He will not always chide. He will not. Some of you might not know what chide means. Look it up. <laughs> Look it up in the dictionary. <laughs> yeah, no, essentially the idea that, okay, yes, God is executing judgment. He is punishing the nations and punishing the nation of Israel in particular. However that that judgment will not last forever, right? There, There is a theme of redemption. There is mercy. There is grace. There is a plan that ought to give the people hope despite the heavy hand of God being upon them. Right. And I, I, think, I think that that's the perfect understanding of what it means for us to be in the prophets where 
things are going up and down all the time. Like the, the profits are seriously an emotional roller coaster. They are, yeah. Right? It goes from absolute destruction, things could not get worse, all the way to things could not get better. Right. Yeah. Right? The the absolute depiction of a better than Eden kind of time to come. Mm-hmm. And this emotional roller coaster is tough. And but it, but it has to be walked through. And one of the things we had someone even write in, uh, one of the things that we need to remind everyone in this is that this does not speak to the bipolar nature of God. Right. Yeah. And it also doesn't speak to the idea that there's more than one God in the Bible. Right. Yeah. There's this, there's this kind of mistaken um, pseudo theology that has actually existed for a very long time. Like, I mean, people started making this mistake in the early centuries, like Gnostics did this, dividing, making this division between the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New, as though they're not the same being, or the same being, but completely changed. Right. But we know that that's not the case. That's not, that's not the, in the very nature of God to change who he is, right? Mm-hmm. And, and even the manifestation of God, Jesus Christ, is the same, what, yesterday, today, and forever. Yeah, and, and even the person writing in made a good point that there's no there's no real satisfaction in mm-hmm. overly spiritualizing or explaining away these these verses, right. these these portions where where God is doing things that resemble genocide. Right. Right. Uh, and and so we don't want to explain them away. I don't believe that we need to explain them away. Mm-hmm. I believe that uh, they exist for a reason, and and. Here's what we have to to remember all the time. This world is broken mm-hmm. and corrupted. And the only way for it to be cleansed is for the corruption to be removed. Mm-hmm. Man brought on the corruption. Yeah. Yeah, and we mistakenly also... I mean, we understand, obviously, God is morally superior to us as human beings. Mm -hmm. But part of what we're bound to as finite creatures is, you know, we only have so much authority. Right. Right. And so for us, for me to take the life of someone else because they have angered me is beyond my degree of authority. I, I, I do not have the I do not have the freedom to to destroy another image bearer of God. But God does. Right. He does. And we try to limit his authority to our sphere of authority. Mm-hmm. And that's where we go off the rails so much. Yeah. And, and I think I think if we take it out of the human aspect and we, we realize what does cleansing mean? How many people would love to clear our land of the novel coronavirus? Yeah, sure. How do you do that? Mm-hmm. You kill it. Right. You destroy it in every place that it exists. Mm-hmm. You destroy it. Mm-hmm. And and part of part of the struggle in this, because we could say, well, okay, so there we're talking about a virus. Mm-hmm. And here we're talking about people. It's a right. very different thing. Sure, I agree. It's an analogy. It's a it's right. a comparative. Yeah. But the difference is because we also are people. Mm-hmm. Because we also are sinful people participating in and contributing to the broken nature of this world, we relate more to the sinner than we do a righteous and holy God. Mm-hmm. 
And so we view life from the perspective of the sinner. Mm-hmm. And that's why we feel like there is something very bizarre and unjust going on inside of this mm-hmm. because because we are among those deserving of this punishment. Yeah. And that is why grace is just dumbfounding. Yeah. Yeah. Right? And and to say that the, that it's different in the Old Testament because all of that just lays the foundation to God has the right to be just. Mhm. And we have to come to a place where we are seeing uh, the world through his eyes more than we are seeing it through human eyes, which we can't fully do. Right. But we need to, to work in that direction. Mm-hmm. Now, the other thing to that, is it different in the Old Testament than it is in the New Testament? No. Exactly. When we get to Revelation, all of this stuff takes place again. Yeah. That we have the identification of corruption. Mm-hmm. The promise of deliverance for those who will abide in him, destruction on those who don't, and the deliverance of those who do. This is the pattern that we have been working through in all of the Old Testament, mm-hmm. and it is the exact same pattern in the New Testament. Yeah. The difference is we have already seen God's hand against his people and the nations in the Old Testament, and we are still awaiting mm-hmm. that hand against them, against those who would oppose him mm-hmm. in a final judgment. Yeah, yeah. And so it's going It's going to happen well, that's the in thing, a right? New Testament context. Yeah, pe- people kind of, they look at the person of Christ as given to us in the Gospels and say, well, I don't see that side of him there. But like you just said, right, well, then look to a book, the book of Revelation, right, where you see Christ himself being tattooed the, and with a sword. Yeah. Riding a horse with blood all the way up. Right. Like like Jesus is not this, you know, effeminate hippie. Right. Like I'm sorry, but that is not that is not who Christ is. He's not going to ignore sin. No, he's certainly not. Mm-hmm. Right. And so and 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 his patience he is patient and he is kind, but but there's also there's a there's a limit to that as far as there will be a, there will be a day where there will be a reckoning, and and we will see Christ we will see another side of Christ in that, and mm-hmm. we will still find him glorious and worthy of all honor and praise, and all of this reckoning is for the purpose of reconciliation, right? He he doesn't fail to show his people the love that he has for them and to speak to that love. We see that over and over again this week, mm-hmm. right? This week is is probably better than any week we've had uh, an example of that roller coaster where he says, I have to do this, but know that I love you. Yeah. And I'm doing this because I love you. You had your opportunities and I'm pulling, uh, I'm pulling that away for those who have chosen not to sometimes i wonder why we we feel like okay so a a person dies without christ um and we're like well you know what they lived their life they had their opportunities the church had their opportunities to share the gospel that's just sort of the natural coming of things Mm -hmm. uh but here these people are uh, are brought into a, a time of invasion where they are going to have their life lost right and we think well that's unfair of god as if God is not the one who counts the days of those who die naturally, hmm. right? Uh, so this it's really, ultimately, in the end, it's really not that different. 
Um, but it is it also stands as a warning for us. I, I think these passages in Isaiah stand as a warning for us now that this was a form of judgment that God brought on his people and on the nations that is a type of the ultimate judgment that awaits. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I, I, I would say a, a very clear no to is God of the Old Testament angry and the God of the New Testament uh, just butterflies and roses? I would say no, 100% not. Mm-hmm. In fact, this being the lesser type. Yeah. The greater judgment is to come. That's right. Um, so, that's a big forest. That's right. <laughs> so let's move. <laughs> let's move into the trees. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, the first the first tree that I noticed, kind of in in our reading, was uh, there's a couple chapters spent on this whole idea of going back to Egypt and whether or not the people of God mm. are going to go back to Egypt because they know this judgment's coming. Right. And Who is Egypt? Who is Egypt, right? Well, Egypt is a country in the northeastern corner of Africa. But what Egypt represents right. is the worldly power, right? What Egypt represents is, you know, this place of seeming stability and wealth and military might and all of these things. But God has taken his people out of Egypt. Why would they want to run back when things get tough? Right, that yeah. God pulled them out of that, and and so there is a very clear and easy lesson for us to learn as people who have been redeemed from this this fallen world, that when times get tough, when we feel the pressure, our response should not be to lean on the systems that we have been taken out of, right? right? And uh, this is and this is a big deal, right? This is a big deal to God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, and when God asks the question, who is Egypt, he is reminding them very clearly, I am the one bringing this destruction on you, mm. and when you return to Egypt to save you from my destruction, what are you thinking? Are you really thinking that Egypt is going to overcome my hand? That's right. Yeah. Is Egypt going to stay my hand? That's right. That's what you're running to Egypt for? Mm-hmm. No, I have told you this destruction is coming upon you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's me who is going to do it. He's going to echo that a couple of times through here. This is my hand. Right. This is me doing this. Mm-hmm. And I'm doing it for my glory. That's right. Right. I'll the destruction is for my glory and the salvation of the remnant mm-hmm. is for my glory. Yeah, and that's so that's the next kind of tree that that we should take a moment to look at is that there is a ransomed group who shall return, mm-hmm. right? Um, and, and when this happens, there's a couple verses in Isaiah 35. It says that then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy for water breaks forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. Yes. Yeah. It's, I think, I think that these these moments where he talks about the deliverance of the remnant ought to ring true with us in a very special way. Mm. Ought to be things that we just sort of sit in. When, when you find yourself uh, coming up into those sections to just sort of be in them and realize your struggle with sin, this is the promise over that. Yeah. Your, your struggle with the world around you, uh, whether it be in, in this current moment, isolation, or fear, whatever kind of anxieties that this world is bringing over you, this is a promise that there will come a day Mm -hmm. 
and all of that will be gone. Mm-hmm. And man, do these promises ring. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, as we're, as this is all kind of being unpacked, then we get into a section of Isaiah that's actually narrative rather yeah, than a, prophecy. A very different kind of section, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? There's not a whole lot of narrative in Isaiah, but this is part of it. Yeah. And so essentially this is Assyria. Right, the 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 nation that is um, whose capital is Nineveh. Remember the place that Jonah didn't want to go to, right? Because these were wicked people, and uh, sounds like whatever kind of repentance they had before God in the time of Jonah, that's started to pass now, and uh, they've conquered the northern kingdom, and now they're at the gates of Jerusalem, and uh, and they've got a representative, the Rabshakeh. I'm gonna go with that. Uh, <laughs> Why not? <laughs> who's speaking to the people on the wall? And he's actually. What's interesting is he's choosing to speak in their language, yeah. So that not like the yeah, not Aramaic, but in in their own language, so that the people would be terrified of of this news of this Assyrian invader who's coming to destroy them. And he actually claims that God told him to destroy Judah, mm-hmm. but that doesn't seem to be the case in in this sense. Um, yeah, Hezek- this whole story, this Hezekiah story, mm-hmm. has its kind of twists and turns. Mm-hmm. You know, people saying, "You God, God said," when God didn't say. Yeah. Uh, people receiving prophecy, Hezekiah receiving prophecy. I'm gonna destroy, and you're gonna lose everything because of this thing that you did. Mm-hmm. And Hezekiah should probably at that point say, what was I thinking? Right. <laughs> but that's not what he says. Yeah, there's yeah, there's a whole... Yeah, so... <laughs> yeah, Hezekiah is an interesting character. Like, he is one of the better kings. He is? He is, right? Like, he's it's, it's a noted thing... Uh, I think we read it last week in the Book of Kings, talking about Hezekiah. Like he was, he was one of the good, one of the good ones, uh, com- comparatively, of course. Um, but he's not without his mistakes. No, he's not. No. He invites Babylon in, right? Not just not just in, like, hey, you want to come over for dinner? Mm-hmm. But he takes them into the temple mm-hmm. and shows them all the gold of the kingdom, right? <laughs> all of the wealth that they have stored up. Hey, behind these walls, you might have assumed that there were some pretty good things. It's better than you could imagine because all the wealth of Solomon still resides here. Hmm. You want to see it? <laughs> Here's my password. Yeah, pretty much, right? Here's yeah. my PIN number. Doesn't He doesn't even do like the cover the PIN number thing that like you do at the grocery store kind of thing. Just yeah. opens it up, yeah. shows it to them. And Isaiah's like, what are you doing, man? Like, what do you think is going to happen here? But see, again, this is people not having for- the foresight, right? Because in Hezekiah's mind, the big bad wolf is Assyria, not right. Babylon. Right. They're a long ways off. Sure. They're not going to mess with us. Like, yeah. they're, they've got their own problems way over there. Right. right? Because <laughs> Babylon has not yet become an analogy for the kingdom of uh, Satan, and the kingdom right. of this world. That's right. But they're about to become that, that image throughout the rest of Scripture. Yep. And uh, and so Isaiah says, what are you thinking? What are you doing? They're going to come in here. They're going to destroy everything that you are, and they're going to take all of the gold mm-hmm. that was set apart for worship and for the property of the king, and they're going to take it. And this is going to happen in your son's time. Mm-hmm. And Hezekiah doesn't repent. He says, so it's not going to happen during my time. Great. Sweet. <laughs> I'll leave that for them to deal with. E- eventually, eventually there is mourning. 
yeah. and repentance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But that initial response yeah. of like, oh, so I'm going to die in peace. All right. Cool. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And and so then that that kind of concludes the, the, the narrative portion. And then we get back into more of what we recognize as prophecy from Isaiah. Right. There's a couple Psalms that are thrown in there too. Uh, Psalm 76 is one of them. Um, and so then we have, um, we have some really iconic, if that can be, if that's a, you know, the proper term there, but, but verses that we see used in the new Testament, right? They jump off the page of us and at us, uh, in Isaiah, because we read in the wilderness or a voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert, a highway for our God. And mm-hmm. you're like, Oh, John the Baptist, right? Like right. all of a sudden you start, you start seeing these things um, and you, you were able to make these connections and understand what these things in Isaiah are pointing to. Um, but, you know, there, there's actually a lot of, I was, as I was reflecting on the passages that we were reading in Isaiah, God is speaking of himself a lot. And, and there's actually a couple chapters that really remind me of the last few chapters of Job that we went through way, way, right. way back in January, February. And he's just saying, look, I am the one who put all this together. I am the one who is ordering the universe. Who are you to argue with my plan? Right. And, and not only does he call them out, but he calls out their gods. That's true, too. Yeah. Right? And some some amazing imagery. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. one that you brought up when we were talking about it uh, first thing this morning. Uh, So a guy cuts down a log, half of it he makes for a god, Mm -hmm. the other half he uses it to build a fire and cook his dinner. That's right, yeah. And this is what you're putting your trust in. Yeah, yeah. This is it. You saw this as a tree, you carved it into a man, Mm -hmm. you took the scraps and cooked your dinner, Mm -hmm. and then you prayed to this thing that it would deliver you from me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what are you thinking? Yeah, yeah. And and then what we're going to see more and more throughout is he's going to say, these gods do not speak, they do not hear. But in Psalms, it says, uh, Psalm 135, which is part of our reading, the idols of the nations are silver and gold, mm. the work of human hands. They have no mouth. Or they have mouths, but they do not speak. They have eyes, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear. Nor is there any breath in their mouths. And then this is this is what got me. Those who make them become like them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we become witless and dumb. When the thing that we worship is also vanity. Yeah, yeah. And let's not be so hasty to point to the ancient peoples of the world and say, oh, images of stone or gold or wood or whatever it might be, how foolish it was that they would make idols of those material things. Right. Because in our own, you know, modern and, you know, more complex and nuanced ways, we do the exact same thing. We yeah. can fall victim to the exact same dangers of making the the temporary, finite, um, material things of this world 
the center of our lives. Yeah, and, and when we do this, a lot of times we'll, we'll find ourselves drifting in such a way that people are confused about, mm-hmm. right? They're like, why is it that my heart doesn't feel an admiration for God, yeah. a desire, a hunger, and a thirst for the Word of God? Mm-hmm. When, when the church gathers to sing and we talk about the love of God, there are those who have that love of God, and I just don't feel it. Why don't I feel it? Yeah. Well, what does your heart become accustomed to? Yeah, yeah. You know, how are you entertaining yourself? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, how much time are you spending giving yourself to the Word so that that becomes a thing that you love and admire more? Mm-hmm. You know, this is, this is a common idea inside of even just human psyche. It doesn't even have to be a biblical notion, mm-hmm. right? So, for instance, I grew up playing baseball. From the time I was four until the university said, uh, sorry, you're not good enough for us to spend money on, right? I played a lot of baseball, and I love the game. Mm-hmm. But I know that people look at baseball and they say, it's slow. It doesn't make sense to me. It's boring. Mm. The difference is they're waiting for somebody to get a hit because they see that as action, right? Right. What they don't see is that when the guy came up to bat, the outfielder shifted, Mm. right? But to someone who has played the game, you're like, oh, what's going on in this guy's swing? What is the pitcher planning? How are they communicating this? That all of a sudden everyone's pretty sure he's going to pull this to right field, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? And then we get into the count. Oh, we're sitting at at 0-2. What's he going to do? What pitch is he going to throw? And where is he going to locate it? Mm. And all of those things only become interesting when you have spent so much time in the game mm-hmm. that you know to look for them. Yeah. Yeah. Knowing the game and loving the game are connected, right? Right. Knowing our God. The, the reason so many people struggle with this kind of intimate, uh, like loving relationship with their creators because they don't really know him because they're not spending any time or attention um, with, like, with him, right? So, so the, if our bodies are, you know, a temple, you know, are they filled with the presence of God as, as the, as the original temple was meant to be, or rather are we filling our bodily temples with idols, right? Are, are they just idol factories, right? Are, are we just simply dwelling on, uh, on, on things of inconsequential value in comparison mm-hmm. to our maker? And, and I think that's easy to see in something like celebrity worship. Yeah. Right. Like we wouldn't necessarily call it celebrity worship, but we can at times get caught up in sort of like this celebrity is something that uh, that really grabs my interest. Mm-hmm. And uh, I read about them or I watch them and and take in their work. And, and all of a sudden you see the person sort of they start looking like that person, you know, dressing the same way, right. uh, buying this. Well, this is what that person uses. It doesn't even have to be like megastar celebrity that everyone knows about. It can mm-hmm. be you know, whoever your favorite YouTuber is. Yeah, and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, well, this person does this thing. This is the guitar they play, the computer they use, the mm-hmm. camera they're recording, whatever it oh, is yeah. that you just start saying, well, that's what I need too. Yeah, that's yeah. a very real thing amongst amongst our youth. Yeah. Like, that's a very real thing that they they, they, ob- they obsess with these, these YouTubers so that they feel that they have a genuine relationship when they don't. And, and can become s- severely distressed or elated depending on what's going on in that YouTuber's life. Yeah, and, and it, it doesn't end with youth. 
no, people, it does. People it goes, carry it on. I mean, yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah, it's it's, but it, that's where it starts. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and and so the call away from idols mm-hmm. to worship the true God. Uh, and we have the week ends in these uh, the last not not the last but but these Isaiah passages. Mm-hmm. Once you hit that Isaiah fifty mark, yeah. Things really start to change. Yeah, it's true. And if you've been struggling with all of the destruction and the desolation, Isaiah, what day is that? What day of the week is that going to be? June 28th, or July 28th, sorry. Yeah. That's your day. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's the day you've been waiting for. Because uh, Isaiah's description of the deliverance of God is... Poetic genius. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, there's there's some there's some gorgeous passages that we can find. Um, I mean, it culminates. Yeah, it culminates end of fifty two into fifty three. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of just want to read it. Can we read some of that here? Let, let, let I want to read the first portion of of Isaiah fifty three. Anyways, sure. It kind of starts a little bit, it starts back in earlier than that, but uh, who has believed what he has heard from us and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. We could keep going. I mean, there's, there's, there's just more and more and more. And uh, it's funny. I've actually, I've actually seen a video of someone in Israel. I've seen it too, yeah. Reading this yep. in Hebrew. Mm-hmm. Allowed in, in public, and, and a rabbi comes to him and tells him, "Hey, no, 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 no! Stop reading your your Christian doctrine." And he's like, "This is this is the prophet Isaiah. This this is your text." Right, right. But it's so clearly. I mean that 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 rabbi. He spends the whole time yelling at it's a lady, right? I think so. Yelling yeah. at her, saying, "We don't believe in your Jesus." Yeah. And she said, "Who said anything about Jesus? I'm reading Isaiah 53." Yeah. <laughs> and so she starts reading Isaiah 53 again, and the guy just starts screaming, "Stop! We don't believe in your Jesus!" And she's yeah. like, "Quit! Then quit bringing him up." Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. It, it's. It's just fantastic. Mm. I, I have a whole book called The Gospel According to Isaiah 53. Nice. Uh, and, uh, yeah, good stuff. Mm-hmm. Good stuff. Highlights? Um, well, for me, one of the highlights was going to be that that uh, little story about the, the guy who cuts the piece of wood in half. Right. But uh, something else that I, that I really um, appreciate, one of my favorite psalms is in the reading this week, Psalm 46. Um it's entitled God is our fortress, but there's just, there's some great stuff, right? Uh, come behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolation to the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear and he burns the chariots with fire. Um, Shane and Shane mm-hmm. do an excellent kind of version of this song. They've kind of taken the words and, and turned it into a, a, 
a worship song. So Psalm 46, again, one of, one of my uh, one of my favorites. What about you? Uh, you know that that passage that you, I guess we stole each other, <laughs> uh, from 53, that just the idea, and again, song-related, mm-hmm. uh, just the man of sorrow. Mm-hmm. What a name. Yeah. Yeah. What a name for the one who would come. Uh, I sometimes people like to take that too far and they like to say, oh, Jesus was repulsive in the way that he looked uh, because he had, you know, nothing about him that would cause us to admire him. Uh, that's not what it's saying. Hmm. What what it's saying here is he doesn't, he, Jesus doesn't come, the deliverance doesn't come in such a way that, that the world would look at it and say, this is what we've been longing for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this is what we expected. The King of Kings is going to come in glory, and it's going to be amazing, right? We're going to have, you know, castles, and and we're going to have wealth, and it's going to be this huge thing, and everyone is going to notice when the king of kings is born. And even in Isaiah, he's saying, no, mm-hmm. it's not going to come in the way that you think it's going to come, and it's not going to come for the reason that you want it to come. Right. Right? And, and so when Jesus does come, and it's so obvious, right? Everyone, this is getting into the Gospels quite a bit, but when, when John the Baptist is preaching, people are sold. Yeah. They're interested. Yeah, they are. Hey, this guy this guy's proclaiming the coming of the Messiah. Let's figure this out. Jesus comes, and John makes no bones about it. That's the guy right there. Right. Right? His own disciples. He's like, stop, go to him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? Leave me alone and go to him. And, uh, and... But it, but it's clearly not what they wanted. Right. It's a different kind of deliverance than they expected, mm-hmm. and they reject it for that reason. Mm-hmm. And I, and I think that's a huge message for our own hearts today. Right. When we look at things like not even, I think the prosperity gospel is an ultimate form of this. It is, yeah. That Jesus needs to be the Jesus here and now that fixes what I identify as the problem mm-hmm. here and now. But it can be even in my own heart, like, sure. why do I still struggle with sin? Why won't you deliver me from that? Mm-hmm. Why do we still see bad things happening to good people? Mm-hmm. The problem of evil kind of thing. Because this is what God has decided. And, and we need to wait upon the Lord and trust in the hope that he has promised that will come. That deliverance that he says is his ultimate plan and his ultimate grace and joy and mercy for us. Mm-hmm. And stop trying to make God be who we think he should be. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so often we, we make a God in our own image, right? Like So, so we, we, we design him and craft him and tweak him in such a way that he is going to do all the things that we want him to do, how, how we think they should be done and when they, we think they should be done. And when he doesn't fit up to this, you know, this thing that we've conjured up, then suddenly we begin to doubt. He's not beautiful to us. Right. And that's what Isaiah is saying. Like, he, yeah. He's not going to be beautiful to you mm-hmm. because you're looking for something else. Yeah. You have a different God than me, mm-hmm. and so you're not going to recognize him when he comes. Yeah. David Platt's radical yeah. opens up this way, right? Mm-hmm. That we create God into becoming either the means to our idolatry or a greater version of us mm-hmm. instead of... Uh, Re- rethinking self and uh, and seeing God for who He is and adjusting ourselves to that. Yeah, because our way is more accessible, and His way 
is righteous. Thanks for listening. This podcast is a resource of Memorial Baptist Church in Stratford, Ontario, in cooperation with the Gospel Coalition of Canada, and it is produced by Alex Walker. Till next time. Take care, everybody.